Today's reading is from Luke 3, Luke 3, verses 7 to 18. John said to the crowds coming over to John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves we have Abraham as our father for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? the crowd asked. John answered, The man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, for all of us who are sort of getting into the spirit of Christmas now, this morning's reading can sort of be a bit of a, a dampener, can't it? Um, we're passing through the season of, Ad of Advent, moving towards Christmas, and we're expecting glad tidings of great joy. And yet John the Baptist seems to be out of place among our Christmas cheer and joy. Here he comes, preaching of repentance and the coming wrath of God. An axe prepared to cut down every tree that does not bear good fruit and throw it into the fire. Some of us may start to sort of shudder and think, and who invited this guy who's wearing camel's hair and eating grasshoppers to our Christmas party? He may seem a bit like uh, Ebenezer Scrooge from, from um, Christmas Carol, who goes around muttering, bar humbug. Or for those of you a bit younger, the the Grinch who stole, stole Christmas. But if this is what we think of John and his message, we gravely misunderstand him. 
Don't forget, who is it who leapt with joy inside his mother's womb when the pregnant Virgin Mary stood near? It was John the Baptist. Who excitedly proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world when he first saw Jesus? It was John the Baptist. He knows the Christmas joy as well, or probably better, than any of us. Unfortunately, today, it's easy to see John the Baptist as a bit of a caricatured authority figure, all red-faced, barking to people who come out innocently to hear a sermon from a person they take to be a prophet. And he's shouting things like, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from this coming wrath? That almost comic image of John the Baptist is the easiest thing to dislike about this text. But there are more. John's recommendations to people. Share one cloak if they own two. To do the same thing with sharing their food. It sounds like a, a bit of a Marxist theory, doesn't it? From each according to his ability, to each according to their needs. It doesn't sound much like the advent we know and love. Isaiah's promises of peace and love. Or Mary and Elizabeth reju rejoicing over the children they're expecting. It's very different. So our tendency this morning is probably to sort of turn off because it sounds almost comically angry. To turn off because it sounds communist. Or both. But this text is in our Bibles. In this gospel, because we need its message. Today, more than ever. Especially now, in this season of Advent. So over the next few minutes, I'm going to ask us all to do some thinking. To think, to really think, as we look at this reading together. And to keep asking ourselves, what does God want me to hear from this passage today? What am I supposed to do? Should just pray for a second. Father, as we look at this, these words together, Lord, would you help us? Help us to understand what it is that you want us to do. Help us to know and to put into action those things that you call us to. Lord, speak to us, I pray. Amen. Now, I remember last year being introduced to the, uh, the phenomenon called the Advent Conspiracy. You may remember, I think Tim showed a video very, very early on in Advent. And it's a movement that's been mainly promoted online that was founded a few years ago by an ecumenical group of ministers whose goal is to reclaim this season from consumerist frenzy. Their website proclaims this. What was once a time to celebrate the birth of a saviour has somehow turned into a season of stress, traffic jams and shopping lists. And when it's all over, many of us are left with presents to return, looming debt and an empty feeling of missed purpose. Is this what we really want Christmas to look like? Their main question is this. What if Christmas became a world-changing event again? They offer a challenge to buy less stuff and to give more of ourselves to live more simply, but they also present a bigger challenge, to redirect some of what we would usually spend at this time of year towards creating a better world. And they provide some pretty startling statistics. The United Nations reports that 5,000 children die every day from diseases 
that, co that are caused by unclean water. And creating clean water sources around the world is about $11 billion a year. Now, how much do you think we in Britain, and this is just Britain, expect to spend on Christmas this year? The answer is 22 billion pounds. That's 35 billion dollars. And Americans will spend about 450 billion dollars on Christmas. 11 billion dollars creates clean water every year. This message is not just crazy church propaganda. It's true and it makes for uncomfortable reading. And that's much like today's reading. It's uncomfortable. John the Baptist didn't get paid to preach at weddings. He didn't get paid to preach for funerals. He didn't get paid to preach on Sunday mornings. Instead of his salary being paid for by the congregation or by the diocese, John the Baptist lived out in the desert on locusts and wild honey. He wasn't influenced by lobbyists, wasn't out for political, political gain, didn't sell his soul to the highest bidder, or he didn't slant his message to try and increase his ratings. He told the absolute truth about God. He told the absolute truth about human beings. He didn't have anything to prove or impress people with. He stood in front of crowds, not wanting to win friends and influence people, not wanting to show the crowds how clever he was, not wanting to get people to experience the power of positive thinking. He preached in such a way that he upset people or rattled them. He could have been saying to the crowds, you people, you act like frauds, pretending you're so pious, pretending you're so religiously perfect. Why don't you get freed up from your religion that's so shallow and so sentimental? And he says, he goes on to imply that if he had the kind of inner religion that many of them have, he would be embarrassed to call himself religious at all. And challenges them, why don't you show that you have genuinely changed? And there was a group of people there that was clearly quite de defensive. And John knew what they were thinking. They were thinking, we're good Jews. We could say today, well, we're good Anglicans. We're good Baptists. Who do you think you are talking to us like that? Don't you know who you're talking to? John was out to name that opinion as a mistake, as crucially and fundamentally wrong. You say you're children of Abraham. And you think that answers all the questions. Not so fast. God, if he wanted to, could make children of Abraham from these stones. And if you look at the Jordan River, I've never been there, I've seen photos, where he was, there were lots of stones. It's just a desert wasteland and hardly anything else but stones. No, being children of Abraham is not the final answer. In the same way as calling yourself a Christian is not the final answer. But there was another group there that day. And it's not really clear from the passage how this happened. It might have been just a few words that John said. Maybe a sentence or two that really connected with them. And suddenly, it was as if a light had been switched on. Something that John had said to them hit home. It got under their skin, and they asked a very personal question. What can I do? What can we do to change for the better? If we start asking those questions of ourselves or of God, it's probably a sign that we're beginning to understand more of what God wants of us. John is, as Jenny told us last week, the forerunner. He's beginning to unpack the message that Jesus will be 
bring to completion. He's getting anyone who would listen to him to prepare their hearts for this coming Messiah. And to my mind, that's what Advent is all about. Although John is speaking a very difficult message, it's a message that we still need to hear and understand today. The fact is that our God, who is good, has a moral will for us, his creatures. He cares about what we do. He cares when we've been lied to. He cares when we've been deceived. He cares when we've been cheated. He cares. It matters to him precisely because he made us. He hates it when one of his children is damaged, disadvantaged, or suffers. He cares when his children are hung hungry and don't have enough food, when they have no clean drinking water, when they have inadequate housing, when they get pushed around and abused by faceless systems, whether they be greedy corporations or abusive governments, or simply officials with titles and power who use them for their own advantage. He hates it when they get blown up in the Baghdad marketplace. He hates it when they get shot at in schools, as tragically happened this week. And he also hates it when some of his people, who are doing okay, observe the suffering of their sisters and brothers and turn away from helping them. He hates it when those with two coats ignore the people with no coats on cold nights. He hates it when the people with plenty of food turn away from the people with no food as if they were not children of the same parent. So what does this morally good God do when he looks and sees all this stuff going on that he hates? If he saw it all and did nothing about it, that would be as bad as a parent who watched a child lighting matches on a sofa and does nothing to stop them. He must act. Does he have options? Is it going to be another worldwide flood or another round of fire and brimstone? Well, he's tried that response, and it didn't help much. What we learn in Advent is that God had a plan, a plan that he invoked 2,000 years ago. The plan starts with a messenger to prepare the way, followed by a direct intervention. John comes as the messenger to prepare the way for God's direct intervention. John himself declares that there is one more powerful than I to follow. John's message is one of preparation, preparing our hearts and making sure that our actions match our words. God comes down to this planet of his making and makes himself one of the humans he has already made. God's direct intervention is Christmas. God himself comes down to be one of these people to save us from the mess we've been making. He comes to be with us to know firsthand what life is like down here, where some of, us, some of us have two coats and supper waiting, while others have none. And to teach us once again about his Father, our Father in heaven, about God. That is exactly why Christmas is so crucially important for us. It is God's direct intervention into a world that probably deserves another round of fire and brimstone. God has no interest in destruction. He has a plan to redeem and save the selfish little creatures like me and transform us into people who get it, who get it that God, our creator, our father, is good and wants me to be the same, to worship him as he truly is and to take 
my place on this planet for however long I'm here for. And it helps us understand that everyone around me are relatives of mine for whom I am morally responsible as well. Are you ready for Christmas? Now that's a question we've probably been asked and will be asked numerous times around now. But what does that mean? Well, I could say that I've bought and wrapped all my presents. That would probably be a lie because Judy's done all of that. But anyway, we'll ignore that. I could say I've ordered the meat for Christmas Day. I've got the tree and the decorations up, although that's also a lie because I'm busy decorating the lounge. So, um, But we could just make sure that we know when family are coming. In our house, it's a bit like a military operation at the moment, I think. And, um, but is that what we really mean? Is that what's important about our preparations? What John is saying to us tells us all we need to know about getting ready for Christmas. It's about being prepared to repent so that we are always ready and willing to worship. It's about being prepared to spend less on ourselves and give more to those who need it, whether that's time or money. It's about being loving, and I mean truly loving, to all those around us, not just the people we like. The real problem is how we do that practically. Do our actions really speak louder than our words? As Tim said a couple of weeks ago, Advent is about making a spiritual assessment of our lives and hearts in readiness for Christ's coming. So being ready for Christmas is not about the presents or the parties, the food or the decorations. It's about being ready for whatever God will call on us to do. Now for our family this year, it's about giving up Christmas Day to do sole purpose, to be a part of that team, to make sure that some people who would be alone at Christmas will get to hear and experience the good news of the season. How will you be ready for Christmas? John's message to us can help be summarized as worship fully, spend less, give more, love all. And that's what the Advent Conspiracy um, movement would have us do this year. Spend less, give more. That, they appear to contradict each other. But it's quite simple, really. It encourages us to spend less on gifts that will only be returned or left to gather dust at the back of a cupboard. But then it says, give more. Give more of yourselves to your family. Make your gifts. What would you rather have? An ill-fitting jumper, Christmas jumper in questionable taste that you won't wear, or some homemade fudge or homemade pickle? I know what I'd rather have. And what about that money that you haven't spent on gifts? What are you going to do with that? John gives us some ideas. Some of us may get a bit hot under the collar when we discuss giving in church and we start talking about tithing. But John isn't talking about tithing here. He talks about giving away half of what we have. If you have two goats, give one of them to the poor. Do the same with your food. So what should we do? What we should do is exactly the same as that every group of people who came out to the Jordan River to be baptized by John did. The crowds... The tax collectors, the soldiers, they did the same thing. They all asked the question, what should we do? This is the question that shows that we get it. You mean God is watching? You mean that he cares? You mean that all of our actions towards each other, all of our relationships, all of our interactions with each other matter to him? Well then, what should we do?
Someone who's asking what we should do is only working out the details. The details will always differ. What should we do? It depends on who you are and what you have been doing. If you are a tax collector and you've been extorting, you need to stop it. God cares. If you are a two-coat person, then look around. You know what you need to do. If you've been a food-on-the-plate person, look around. You know what to do. The main thing is to keep looking around and to keep asking the question, today, what am I to do? It's not rocket science. It's not even simple maths. What should we do? We should be good. Not trivially good, but globally good, humanely good, ethically good, morally good, because we know and worship God, who is ultimately good. Let this be our Advent conspiracy. Let this be our Advent challenge. Amen.